Welcome back, everybody. We are into our second episode of The Life of David. Uh, I really enjoyed our last conversation. Fantastic. Absolutely, Mark. So we come now to one of the most famous scenes in David's life. Even if people are unfamiliar with the Bible or the Torah or even our, this, uh, the tradition that which we share, they know the story of David and Goliath. But there are so many great lessons that are a part of this that might not be commonly known. I'm so excited to talk about this. I am Samuel. too. I am too. All right. So why don't you paint us the scene of what exactly is happening here in 1 Samuel 17? Well, essentially, uh, you know, you have this ongoing war uh, between the Philistines uh, and the Israelites. Uh, and they, uh, the Philistines, uh, they are emboldened uh, by Saul's melancholia and weakness, which is sort of visible at this stage of the story for reasons that have something to do with David being on the scene, have something to do with other issues that are that are going on. And they sense that the Jewish people are sapped because hmm. of his weakness. And so it's time to move. It's time to act. And this, this an amazing, unusual character, Goliath, who is a Philistine warrior, uh, shows up on the scene and essentially says, hey, I got a deal. Uh, why don't uh, one of you come out and I'll come out and the winner will win this battle, and that'll be the victor. Um, and you know that way uh, we don't have to go through this all this war. And let's let's sort of set it up that way. And so there he is, and he's huge, and we had all the char- characteristics of him that we tend to see in the media or whatever account we've whereby we've learned this story. And there, all of a sudden, he is. And most of the Jewish uh, leaders are cowering. I mean, the thought of taking on Goliath is something uh, that Saul doesn't want to do, that uh, David's brothers don't want to do. We get a sense that everybody is cowering. Yeah. That, that's the stage that right. we, that's set. And I even like the, the the physical landscape of this is happening in a valley with two hills on either side where the troops are on the hillside watching this. That even helps me of understanding like that's how sound the idea of Goliath shouting at the at the troops, the armies of Israel, and then being looking down on him, hearing him, yes, uh, in some ways making a mockery of the troops of Israel, which, uh, like you said, they. They don't retaliate. They don't. They they cower in fear. Fear, and so when it comes to David and his family, his life, his three oldest brothers are there. And where's David? Well, he he uh, again, as you suggested in our last discussion, he's not even still seen by his father uh, as a leader, uh, and he's really kind of given the task of bringing provisions to others. Uh, which... <laughs> so the same David who is out. Uh, watching the sheep while the sons were there in front of Samuel, he's still, he's even though he's been anointed, right. he's still playing the role of the youngest brother. Which, which shows you that there can be incredible changes uh, in God's eyes, in our lives. And yet in the society of which we're a part, we may still be treated very much the same yeah. way, uh, at least for a while. It takes time for yeah. these uh, changes for the anointing to really take effect, right? I, I find that oftentimes in my life and other people's lives that you can go through these dramatic changes, but when you get around your family, 
you go back to your role, you know, whatever role you're put in. And family systems are hard to change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You look at uh, some of the famous uh, mothers in history, whether it's Franklin Roosevelt, you know, his mother, uh, the way uh, she treated him. Uh, you, you find this to be true in so many different families where yeah. where you're still who you were. It's great that Samuel anointed you and that you're cool. Yeah. That's so cool. But, uh, about the sheep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or they're there. And I'll tell you what you could do. You could take them some provisions. So so that's what happens here. So David shows up on the scene, bringing some provisions. So he, he brings the food. He, uh, he's the delivery boy for the food, for the, for the, the troops, for his brothers. Uh, and when he shows up is it's on day 40 of this. This is uh significance to the number 40 is all throughout the Old Testament. Right. Right. So in your mind, does it matter if it's actually day 40? I don't know the significance of that. I'm I'm invited to think there is, but I simply come away from the idea that this is obviously something very it's been going on. It's a serious threat. It's very frightening and people do not know after some time how they're going to respond to it. So early in the morning, David left the flock and in, in, uh, in the care of a shepherd, and he loaded up and he set out, just like his father instructed him. And uh, when he shows up, the the battle, you know, the the troops are lined up, they're drawing up their lines, uh, and then David gets a glimpse of what's been happening. And what's so interesting to me, Sandy, you you and I just talked a little before we pushed record, is that we used to focus so much on the actual, you know, the battle between David and Goliath. But the more interesting thing for me, more interesting aspect of the story is this part, which is David's perspective being incredibly different than everyone else there on the scene. They have been stuck in fear and David shows up and immediately sees things really differently and is provoked to act. Yes. Um, so how does he respond when he shows up? He, he hears... Um, he hears what's happened. He hears Goliath. And he asked, started asking, what's going on here? Right. Uh, the interesting thing is the Israelites started telling him, do you see how this man's coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give him great wealth to the one who kills Goliath. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. That's their point of view. David, if you want to know what's going on, that's the guy. We're looking at someone to fight him. Here's what you get. You get the king's daughter, you get a tax exemption and, uh, and some wealth. And I love David's response. David responds by saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So as long as he discredits, he's like, I don't want a tax break. Can we talk about the disgrace that's happening on this field and the living God? For the first time, we really get a picture, really, of the David God saw. The David God saw. Yeah. This is the first time that we understand where his heart is going. It's not going in the direction of these material benefits or the or the surface side of life. What we see here is he goes straight to the point that this is the enemy of God. However powerful he looks, he disgraces you and he di- and he disgraces God. And he must therefore be defeated. And what happens, uh, you know, and, and so what about that is the main issue here? Yeah. And what's the consequence of whether we do that or not? 
which shows you right here for the first time. I think this is a hugely important scene. It shows you what God sees in him. Yes. And now that is a perfect setup for what I see next. And so what happens next is, so David is there talking to the troops and then his older brother finds out about it. But for me, what jumps out is notice what he says. He says to David, this is Eliab. He says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the wilderness? Now notice this. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is that you came down here to watch the battle. So God sees David's heart, but what is also being attacked by his brother is the wickedness of his heart. And for me, there's something about that of when it comes to us stepping out into the role that we've been called to play, not only will God draw out the goodness of our heart and who we really are, but that's also the place of great attack. Unfortunately for many of us, the people who are closest to us. Absolutely. Uh, Whether it's due to jealousy, whether it's due to people stepping out of line uh, in the family pecking order, whether it's uh, a sense of foolishness that we see, uh, that some people see in someone who is purporting to do something that is uh, quote unquote impossible, or it's not yours to do. It draws out the worst uh, uh, hostility Uh, anger, jealousy. And it's so vital, I think, that the text uh, shows us this feature of his brother, because it's such an important part of the story. We'd miss if it weren't there. And the interesting thing is that David, he deflects that attack on his heart. I think in part because if he had this profound experience with Samuel, the anointing uh, that he's had, that for some reason he has assurance or confidence in who he is where he can deflect that. And man, I think many of us would benefit from having that sense of self-awareness and that faithful confidence in what God has already said of us. And so he's able to deflect that and he just keeps on going until finally he, he's in front of Saul. And so there in front of Saul, uh, Saul also doesn't lift him up and say, oh, what a great warrior must be. He said, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David knows who he is. And what does he say? He pulls back what he's gone through. Right. How meaningful is that? Well, I think, uh, I think it's tremendously meaningful because, you know, I think for people who are looking at this story and who aren't sure what it means to uh, be a servant of God and to have God's support, this is such a very, I think this is important for that reader. And that reader is probably all of us. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he is a servant of God, which is hugely important, but that he sees experiences that he has had in fighting off the lions and the bears as a shepherd. So in other words, he, I, I, I may be young, but I've had the experience. You say he was a warrior from youth. I too saw, in a way he's saying, I too am a war, was a warrior from youth. And I did it in my life of serving my family, of leading a flock, of protecting them from lions and bears. And for those of us who demand some realism out of a story, how exactly does God help you? How exactly will you serve God? 
What could you? Because we all say the same thing, don't we? Mm-hmm. We all look at the story, if, if we're honest, and we have a little bit of the reaction of the brother and of Saul. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Who am I? Who am I? Who, who am That's I? exactly right. I, who am I to take yeah. on a challenge? Here we're being told that faith in God and loyalty to God and service to God and a recognition of one's abilities and intelligence and skills to be able to see the way to victory. Right. So what makes David stand out in the ways that other people didn't, when they pro- probably every, every soldier is going, who am I? Who am I to be the one soldier out of all of Israel who's going to take on Goliath? Who am I really? But what David sees is he remembers his past, how he fought off the lion, he fought off the bear. And then furthermore, maybe even more important, is the way he, he frames it to Saul by saying, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. It's not only my history, but it's the same living God. Absolutely. And who's been part of my life. That's right. That's you right. Know, but you know, let's take a little detour here for okay. just a second. I love thinking. In fact, when I studied this with a class before, I love challenging them to think of examples uh, in our lives or in our history where something like this happened. Uh, you know, uh, one that I have a lot of fun thinking about, and I, it, this may we may be too old for some of our listeners. I hope that some remember this story. He just died recently, Muhammad Ali. Uh, it's fun to remember back to the first time he won the heavyweight championship. He fought a fellow named Sonny Liston. And no one thought that Cassius Clay, who uh-huh. Muhammad Ali was at the time, that was his name, had any chance to win. Sonny Liston was Goliath. He was huge. He was powerful. He had never lost. And here this little skinny kid is coming up. He had done well in the Olympics. And he's going to take on uh, Sonny Liston for the championship. No one thought he had a chance. He was going to get pounded in the first in the first frame. But what Cassius Clay understood, he understood himself. Mm. Now, I don't know the extent to which he was a religious person. I don't know the, the extent which religion came into it. But he understood what fighting lions and bears was like, mm-hmm. metaphorically. And what he had, he knew he had certain skills. And what he had was an incredibly long reach. And he was very fast. And that was the strategy. It wasn't lions and bears. It was that. And sure enough, in not much, in not much time, uh, and without seeming much effort, people were shocked. He beat Goliath. Being who he was Being bringing. Being who he yeah, was bringing the, bringing the strengths he had. Yeah, which is a great uh, segue to this next part of the story. So Saul says, I don't know why Saul says this, but Saul says, okay, yeah, you can go. You can go fight him. And what Saul then does is he gives David all of his armor. He dresses him in the coat of armor and puts a bronze helmet on him. And David knows himself enough to say, I can't, this is not me. I cannot go in this because I'm not used to them. And then what David does is he goes back to his, what he knows of himself and how God has used them. Right. Which he comes with a sling and five stones. Yeah. He only uses one, but he <laughs> brings five. Right. And uh, he brings who he is. He brings his history, his experience, and his especially his life with God to that battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that incredible? It is. It is. And in a sense, 
he he understood that for him, but what what for Cassius Clay was a long reach and speed. Mm-hmm. What for him was a masterful use of a slingshot. Yeah. So David steps onto the battlefield and Goliath sees him and mocks him. So, so far in this story, his brother called him wicked. Saul thought he was uh, too young, too inexperienced, and Goliath mocks him in front of everyone. David knows with clarity who he is and more importantly, who God is. This is what he said to Goliath. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David is not alone on the battlefield in his mind. He, he is there with the idea that God will be with him. And sure enough, as the Philistine charged David, I love the small, just the small nuance in the text that David charged him to. Yeah. They're running at each other. David pulls out the stone with the sling and David triumphed over Goliath. And we have a sense too uh, from the text that Goliath's defeat would sanctify God's name before all. Hmm. So in a sense, the consecration that Samuel wanted to effect there before the anointing, uh, David achieves uh, that sanctification of God on this battlefield by winning this victory. And think about the joy in, in the divine heart, the correspondence in the divine heart, of being sanctified in this defeat Hmm. uh, by a loyal servant who acted in this way. That's the sacrifice. That's the offering that has to please God the most. Yeah. And the incredible thing happens. So the armies see this victory, the Philistines flee, and the nation of Israel, in watching this, are there emboldened, and they start chasing after their opponent. What a powerful example that David gave. Absolutely. So what's your takeaway? How is this story meeting you in your life today? The idea of there being perhaps something in me that an insight, a discipline, a skill, a capacity that I've developed out of what God gave me uh, through diligence and work that I ought to tap into myself. It's there. And in whatever I'm doing, whether I'm it's in family or whether it's in service or teaching, whatever in my activities that where I can go deep inside myself and find it and use it for God and use it for God's purposes, I can do things that the world doesn't think I can do. That's right. And that people who don't love me or don't admire me would not expect from me. And that I can do things that would seem, would seem impossible to me and to others that I can do those things. I hope other people see that in this story. There's hope uh, for incredible accomplishment, for doing things that are of incredible value. Mm -hmm. Uh, If one looks inside and reaches in and finds those things, those God-given things that we've developed in our lives just for a moment such as this. And one of the things that's powerful that happens is just as the armies of Israel were emboldened by David's example, I think when we walk out with that sense of uh, knowledge of who we really are and we live into it, it emboldens emboldens people to do the same. You know, one of the greatest gifts we can give God and give this world is us living as our true self. And when we do that, we give unspoken permission for other people to consider their own life, their own life experiences, and to do the same. 
Uh, what a gift that could be if we did that and lived into that.